I woke up with a pit in my stomach, similar to the feeling I had just a few years prior after the 2016 presidential election. But this time, it felt more personal, because every decision in education is a political decision, and the political is personal. The red wave had swept Iowa. It had started a few years prior when Iowa's legislature had stripped teachers of their bargaining rights. The public rejoiced. Rumors swirled saying the teacher's retirement plan, Ipers, was next on the chopping block. So far, Ipers is still intact, but other parts of classroom culture and curricula have fallen victim to recent legislation under the Crimson Capitol, more specifically Senate File 496, and that also includes strict penalties for teachers if they violate the law. In typical teacher fashion, Educators followed orders at the beginning of the school year when they got the word about the legislation being enacted. Resigning to their classrooms, they shut their doors and afraid to speak about the legislation that had ultimately shifted their curricula, how they built relationships with students, and the climate and culture of their classroom. This brought up some questions about how does fear-based legislation impact classroom climate and culture? How does fear-based legislation impact how teachers build positive relationships with students? How can schools be safe when teachers feel they can no longer provide a safe learning environment for all students? And what implications does the legislation have for current and future educators and their entry into the profession? In other words, what does the future look like for teachers and teaching in the face of fear-based legislation? A legislative curtain has been drawn in Iowa, silencing teachers. Until now. This is Unmuted, Teachers Talk, with your host, cornbread and fed native Iowan and action researcher from Boston College, Melissa Filmeyer marzen Iowa once touted itself as a purple state, where two of the longest-serving senators, Chuck Grassley and Tom Harkin, were evenly split amongst party lines. But in recent years, something has shifted in Iowa, reflective of a national trend, where the state has moved away from a violet, purpley mix of bipartisan politics to a hue of deep scarlet red. The state house and governorship has become a supermajority of Republicans, with Democrats barely existing in the General Assembly, making their votes and their voices nearly futile. Additionally, with the Democratic caucus debacle in 2020, Democrats had their first-in-the-nation status revoked by the DNC. Republicans have continued to retain their position as the first-in-the-nation caucus. An onslaught of Republican candidates have made numerous return visits across the state, even in some of the smaller communities ahead of the 2024 caucus paying a large amount of attention to what is normally considered flyover country. However, until January of 2024, candidates will be busy pandering to conservative Christian voters, spotlighting and celebrating what they deem as legislative victories for Republican Governor Kim Reynolds in the state. One of these legislative victories was an omnibus education bill passed in the 2023 legislative session known as Senate File 496, amongst others. These bills were passed in response to school board policies being adopted across the state, aligning with the Iowa Civil Rights Act and Title IX, 
protecting transgender students from sex and or gender discrimination. The policies aim to allow transgender students the right to access the bathroom and locker room aligned with their gender identity, and to allow transgender students the right to have a gender support plan in place at school with or without their parents present. In response to the policies, politicians, including prospective presidential candidates, stormed the state alongside the governor, attacking transgender bathroom bills, as they came to be known, and essentially announcing a war had been launched on parents' rights. Acts like your kids are their kids. In schools today, rogue adults are changing kids' genders behind parents' backs. My name is Vivek Ramaswamy, and I speak the truth. There are two genders. For the first time, parents were peering into the classroom, and they did not like what was... The messaging was clear across all candidates. A war had been waged on parents because of inclusive transgender policies being adopted in schools. School board meetings were flooded with conservative Christian organizations and community members expressing outrage of the adoption of these inclusive policies. In one town, a public school board meeting lasted for over five hours, with most of the commentary from community members deeming transgender students as predators, the policies the antithesis of Christian doctrine and values, and was seen as an interference with biblical parenting. Some community members went as far as to accuse the school district and teachers of promoting a transgender lifestyle and grooming students. This school district is no stranger to right-wing conspiracies. The superintendent shared he received weekly emails or communication believing the school had kitty litter boxes in the closets for students who identified as furries or cats. Just like this myth being perpetrated as truth, the same thing is true for a case out of Loudoun County, Virginia. During the marathon board meeting, multiple community members shared a story of a young woman being sexually assaulted by another student. According to Education Week Pete's 2022, reports initially said the assailant was wearing women's clothing for one of the attacks, and it was assumed the policy allowing transgender students to use the bathroom affiliated with their identity is what caused this crime to occur. The truth is, an attack had taken place at the student's previous school, before he had been transferred. Ultimately, the attacks happened due to the failings of administrators, per a grand jury report, and not the bathroom bill. Still, Loudoun County was portrayed as the poster child or the warning of why not to adopt gender-affirming policies. None of the public commentary swayed the school board, the policies were adopted that evening, and within days, Iowa governor and a congressperson had set up a private meeting with parents in the particular district, promising to right this wrong and to artificially give parents their rights back that they believed they had lost. Shortly after the meeting, parents filed a lawsuit against the school district, and the governor and the state legislature went to work, passing various pieces of legislation impacting schools, including... Senate File 496, which basically threads parents' rights, involvement, and notification throughout the laws, and then some. There are some components to Senate File 496 that are actually positive, including changes to teacher licensure, addressing disruptive students, and expanding how schools address bullying or harassment. On the contrary, 
The legislation places extensive regulation on school-administered surveys, the library program, rather, book banning, and how schools address students by their names, pronouns, and gender identity. Books are being removed from school and teacher libraries that depict any sex act and that are not deemed age-appropriate, with the exception of any religious text, including the Bible. Surveys about social-emotional health, politics, religion, familial affiliation, and so much more are forbidden without parental consent. This can include daily check-ins, such as asking students how they are feeling. Teachers can no longer ask students their preferred pronouns or names without reporting it to the administration, who then must report it to the parents within 24 hours. Any sort of gender change or name or pronoun must be reported even if the student rescinds it. The penalties for educators for failing to comply with Senate File 496 start with a warning to the school board or employee. The second violation can have the superintendent or employee's licensure challenged with possible revocation. On the State Court of Iowa, it says, Foundation in Education. The question is, really, is for whom? Research and literature about school culture and climate has shown time and time again that when students feel safe and included, it promotes academic achievement and overall student well-being. Robert Marzano, 2014, whose high reliability schools has been adopted and implemented in many schools nationwide, has placed a safe and collaborative culture as the first level to achieve in order for schools to progress towards highly reliable Yet laws targeting transgender students who comprise somewhere between 1-3% to of a student population's nationwide, also referred to as a gender minority, have become the primary target of conservative-backed legislation. Legislation has been introduced and passed targeting transgender students, their names, pronouns, and bathroom and locker room usage, as well as visibility in curricula. These laws are supported by various Christian coalitions including Moms for Liberty, often exacerbating parental anxieties about their children becoming who they really are. Quote, unquote, Mayo 2020, page 369. Research conducted by Vanneman and Chapman 2020 looked at how disgust and disgust-driven moral concerns predicate support for restrictions on transgender bathroom access. The perception is the threat of transgender women posed to cisgender women and girls, if they were to use the bathroom or locker room aligned with their gender identity, page 202. This situated the Loudoun County, Virginia response and narrative in accordance with public perception. The story has been spun with the male student dressing in women's clothing to allow him to freely enter the women's bathroom because he allegedly identified as trans, which gave him access to the women's bathroom to commit multiple sexual assaults. Keep in mind, the student was not transgender, and the signage in itself does not keep predators from committing heinous acts. No trespassing signs have ever stopped someone from trespassing. Cameras don't always deter stealing and so on and so forth. With or without the women's clothing, the bathroom was used as a place of assault by a male, not a transgender female, and the sign held no authority for someone who wanted to commit a crime. These concerns with trans women are often sold and told as, quote-unquote, men in women's bathrooms, 
Vanneman and Chapman, 2020, page 210. Stripping trans women of visibility, of their identity, and perpetrating the notion of trans women as predators. Mayo, 2020, page 370. Additionally, because of this false notion, cisgender populations often target and raise more alarms towards transgender women concerned about the safety of women and girls sharing private spaces. Vanneman and Chapman, 2020, page 211. Yet the narrative is quite the opposite. 68% of transgender people have experienced verbal harassment in gender-segregated public restrooms, and 9% reported physical assault. Vanneman and Chapman, 2020, page 202. School policies can have a grave impact on whether schools restrict transgender students from using restrooms or locker rooms that match their gender identity. An abundance of research exists about the harm and damage done by imposing bathroom restrictions and gender-exclusive policies at school, and how these policies impact the culture and climate of classrooms from the perspective of transgender students. Even pediatricians have been warned that sexual assault is highly prevalent in transgender non-binary youth, and that restrictive restroom and locker room policies may be associated with higher risk. Murchison et al., 2019, page 1. The risk factors can have damaging, long-term consequences. Transgender and non-binary people have a long history of sexual violence and are more likely to experience psychiatric distress, engage in problematic substance use, and sexually risky behaviors, drop out of school, and consider or attempt suicide. In general, adolescents who have experienced sexual assault are at risk for major depression, PTSD, substance use problems, eating disorders, and additional sexual violence, quote-unquote, Murchison et al., 2019, page 2. But gender minority youth and adults are disproportionately more likely to experience sexual violence, Murchison et al., 2019, page 2. If schools are supposed to be safe spaces, the evidence supports the adoption of inclusive school policies for bathroom and locker room use for transgender youth. A transgender male who fought a bathroom bill alongside the ACLU said, I deserve the rights of every other human being. I am just a human. I am just a boy. Mezzi, 2019. There is research suggesting how transgender students feel invisible in the classroom and how educators can play an instrumental role in shaping a welcoming and inclusive environment. However, little if no research exists about how these bathroom bills and restrictive laws targeting transgender youth impacts teachers. Some of this can be attributed to the pace and rapidity in which these laws are infiltrating local and state legislation and who the law is specifically targeted, transgender students. However, as we have seen in Iowa, the scope of the legislation is no longer just targeting transgender students, it is also targeting teachers. Forcing teachers to out transgender students or face the loss of their license, putting transgender students' physical safety and mental health at greater risk. These risks can be significant due to a lack of support in the home and the unknown response that may come from their parents. Quote, Policies that out young people to unsupportive families may exacerbate LGBTQ homelessness, 
a rate that is already 2.2 times higher than their cisgender peers, unquote. Mayo 2020, page 373. In fact, one of the biggest determining factors preventing this from happening, once again referring to Marzona in 2014 and shaping a safe and collaborative culture in the schools, are in fact teachers. When such policies are enacted, transgender students lose vital sources of support and privacy, amplifying the feeling that the classroom and school environments quote-unquote feel unsympathetic, Mezzi 2019, page 75. Or that transgender students fear for their safety. Mezzi 2019, page 75. With new legislation such as Senate File 496 in Iowa, LGBTQ plus youth and teachers are now painted into the same corner of feeling vulnerable, silenced, targeted, unsafe, and unheard. Schools are a battleground of students versus parent rights, and legislation has forced educators to align themselves with parents. While their motivations to enter the classroom are to provide a safe and nurturing environment for all students. The idea of safe schools has diminished with Senate File 496, and teachers are feeling moral, ethical, and personal implications in the classroom of how they protect transgender youth while fulfilling their professional obligations. Worrying their actions will lead to some sort of aforementioned risk factors of increased homelessness long-term mental health complications, and a lack of physical safety for transgender students. Teachers are at a crossroads, and the findings will show teachers are prepared to leave the profession rather than be a martyr for parents' rights and conservative legislation. To learn more about how teachers are responding to fear-based legislation, a voluntary action research study was conducted in a growing urban high school in the state of Iowa. The objective was to learn more about how teachers were responding and navigating legislation that had put limitations on how teachers built culture and climate in their classrooms. Once again, the questions at the center of the research were, how does fear-based legislation impact classroom climate and culture? How does fear-based legislation impact how teachers build positive relationships with students? How can schools be safe when teachers feel like they can no longer provide a safe learning environment for all students? And what implications does this legislation have for current and future educators and their entry into the profession? The participants of the study were eight teachers, five who identified as male and three who identified as female. The experience of the participants was anywhere from three years in the classroom to near 30 years of experience in the classroom. Additionally, to gain a better understanding of the impact of the legislation across various content areas, participants represented nearly every department in the building, including the arts, world languages, social studies, science, English, math, and special education. Due to the fear the school district faced and to protect the identities of the teachers who participated, all research was conducted off of school-based networks, using personal cell phones and emails in fear of solicitation of identities and information from a Freedom of Information Act request. The district where the research was conducted had already received numerous requests in the first months of school. This was also strongly encouraged and suggested by the district administration, since any person affiliated with the school district or not can now legally launch a complaint against the school or teacher to the Board of Educational Examiners in Iowa, 
who is responsible for teacher licensure. And yes, this is part of Senate File 496. All eight teachers consented to participate in the study. They were reassured that confidentiality would be protected through the research, including the dissemination of the findings. Which is why any quote that was given by the participants during interviews will be voiced by an AI generator and not the actual person. Gender identities have also been changed. The data sources that informed this research were the results of a survey, interviews, as well as observations and notes from meetings discussing the legislation, including school board meetings, the attorneys of the district, and the Iowa State Education Association. Additional data sources include the evolution of school board policies in response to the legislation, Senate file on 496, and news coverage of the impact of the legislation. The survey was administered to all eight participants, with only seven completing the survey. One felt they didn't have a grasp on what Senate File 496 was, despite having attended an hour-long informational session with the school's legal representation. They only knew the law by its restrictions and not its actual name. All eight participants were interviewed within a two-week period near the end of their school's first quarter or eight weeks into the implementation and enforcement of the new law. All interviews were recorded on a personal recording device and transcribed by the researcher, myself. The interview protocol consisted of 10 questions, with room to allow for participants and the researcher to add additional questions or expand on their answers with follow-up questions. The questions were designed for teachers to consider why they got into education how they would build climate and culture before Senate File 496, and how the legislation impacted how they built their classroom climate and culture after the passing of Senate File 496, as well as how the enforcement of the legislation impacted them personally and professionally. The interviews were coded with six themes that emerged from participant interviews and surveys. Cresswell's 2012 approach for analyzing qualitative data was used to code the transcripts to look for commonalities between words and phrases that were similarly used by the participants in the survey and interviews. However, most of the commonalities emerged due to the similarity of the interview questions and common experience of teaching in the state of Iowa and the high school where they were currently located. After the transcripts were organized, the themes that emerged were the purpose and perception of teachers, how to build safe schools, the change in how teachers built climate and culture in their classrooms due to Senate File 496, how teachers are responding to the name requirements in Senate File 496, the loss of inclusive and safe spaces, and finally, paranoia, anxiety, and uncertainty teachers are facing in light of the legislation. Senate File 496 is often referred to as the Omnibus Education Bill. For the purpose of this research, I focus specifically on culture and climate and how teachers were building relationships with students in the passing of fear-based legislation. In discussing how they built a safe space for students, one of the first themes to emerge is what drove teachers to enter the profession. In listening to the narratives of my colleagues, it was clear someone they admired or respected suggested they become an educator, either by a teacher they had during their own K-12 journey or a professor they grew fond of during their undergraduate studies. 
It was something I identified with as I had a professor during my undergraduate studies who suggested I become a social studies instructor. Furthermore, there seemed to be a common sense of purpose in becoming an educator, which was to make a difference in someone's life. They saw the classroom as the portal to build relationships and connections with students and hopefully had the same impact their teachers had on their students by serving as a mentor and helping students flourish in and outside the classroom. Nostalgia creeped into the interviews, many of them remembering when teachers were respected and revered in society. But that feeling has long gone in the face of Senate File 496 and other fear-based legislation passed in the state of Iowa. When describing public perception of educators today, some wondered how teachers became a public enemy rather than being honored as a public servant. A target has been put on teachers, and there is a strong belief, based on survey results, that the origin of this hate is coming from conservative, right-wing politicians and parent groups like Moms for Liberty, who have concocted tales about public schools and educators, then disseminated these fabrications through social media and traditional media outlets to make educators look unprofessional, untrustworthy, and unsafe including the lies about kitty litter boxes and school closets for students who identify as furries, and also that teachers are forcing some sort of transgender agenda on students. Moms for Liberty and other conservative groups had a large hand in shaping the educational policies being passed over the past few legislative sessions in Iowa, and largely influenced local school board elections. Some districts were seeing a shift of more conservative members taking over school boards across the state. During the signing of legislation, Governor Kim Reynolds can often be seen with Moms for Liberty members touting legislation like Senate File 496 as a reclamation of parents' rights and school choice. However, teachers are concerned about Moms for Liberty, even calling them freaky. They feel that Moms for Liberty and other conservative organizations, as well as the Republican Party in the state, are overcorrecting what they perceive as the perverse liberal agenda such as inclusive bathroom and locker room policies for transgender students and gender plans, and not putting a lot of thought into what is best for schools or kids. In response, one colleague asserted, Teachers have become the favorite whipping boy of the Republican Party, and they have a game plan by slowly taking over rules and laws. Whatever the end game, it is taking a toll on educators. A teacher new to the profession in the past three years insisted... And because of the power of this quote, I'm not going to use AI. They said, I want to be an advocate for these kids. I want to protect them. But I know compassion fatigue is real. It's hard to be compassionate when you're seen as public enemy for no reason. It's weird. Ultimately, What it came down to is the impact Senate File 496 was having on the perception of safe schools and classrooms for students and teachers. How can schools be safe when teachers feel like they can no longer provide a safe learning environment for all students? In order to answer this question, I asked all participants to define a safe school. Here is a summary of what they said. A safe school is a supportive environment where students can learn and grow without fear for their physical and mental well-being a sense of community and belonging. It is a haven from certain external discomforts that may be out of students' control, a place that is welcoming for students and staff where diversity is valued 
and everyone has an equal voice regardless of their identity, where every child feels assured of being treated with kindness and dignity. To build a positive classroom culture and climate, participants largely shared that before the passing of Senate File 496, they would administer a get-to-know-you survey, email, or even go through the roster day one, asking students what was their preferred name and pronouns, and any concerns teachers should be aware of as a way for students to assert their voice and identity. With the signing of Senate File 496 into law, all survey participants said the law somewhat or to a great extent, had a negative impact on their classroom culture and climate. As they share their stories, it seemed as if my colleagues, and upon reflection myself, are highly attuned to censoring ourselves inside the classroom, removing surveys since they are now illegal without parental permission, and refraining from checking in on students, worried it may be perceived as a social-emotional survey, and that they, the teachers, may be reported for their actions. One of the first things I did was a get-to-know-you survey asking students for their preferred name and pronouns to make them more comfortable. And now, I have to look at Power School. I can't even go by a shortened version of their name, even if that is how I came to know them in years past. As high school educators, the research participants often expressed how they understood that the teenage years are a time of exploration, self-discovery, and identity formation. With the surveys previously being used to give students the freedom to go by the name and pronouns associated with their identity, teachers are now feeling uncomfortable to address a student by anything besides what is listed in PowerSchool, even if they know a student prefers another name. Many of the teachers expressed they had gotten to know students by different names in years past, and they now have to call a student simply by their power school name, or they would be violating the law. One teacher remarked how they had observed me in the hallway just that week saying hi to a student, then apologizing and asking, can I call you that? Is that your name in power school? It had already seemed so normalized in the day-to-day operations, it didn't even seem strange. Some participants said they go out of their way to not call students by the names that they had gotten to know them by simply excluding using their name in any conversation or during casual hellos or goodbyes as they pass a student in the hallway. The teachers are aware this is having an impact on their relationships. They know it feels impersonal. They know it feels cold. It's a step back in their relationship, but yet they can only rely on power school. Yet, parent rights prevail. One teacher expressed... Students are autonomous individuals, and some don't share the same beliefs with their parents. I want them to feel safe and validated in my classroom. If they want to be called something else because it makes them feel like a person, then I will do it. It's a human issue. While the teenage years are about identity formation... It appears Senate File 496 has stripped high school students of being a part of the decision-making. The law doesn't even involve the student in the process, and it's their identity. One teacher even openly admitted to violating the law, saying, If it's a hill to die on, then so be it. The loss of inclusive and safe spaces for students isn't just felt in bathrooms or locker rooms. 
Referring back to earlier research, when students feel safe and valued in schools, they thrive. Yet Senate File 496 has taken another part of building relations, climate, culture, and safe learning spaces away from teachers by removing any survey or engagement of social-emotional learning. Over and over again, participants worried about checking in on students' social and emotional well-being, fearing it would be seen as a survey, especially if the conversation included topics such as gender, sexual orientation, or other aspects of identity that happen to pop up. Once again, teachers are silencing themselves, and they're placing a wall of interference between building relationships. They can't build relationships, and you can't build trust without a relationship, so you can't reach out if it means breaking the law. One participant shared they are part of the drama department and worried about how the theater, generally a safe space for LGBTQ plus individuals, will no longer be a safe space for them. This included the selection of materials, more specifically whether or not to produce a play about the murder of a gay young man, Matthew Shepard, in Wyoming. It's called the Laramie Project. Would it be violating the law? Same goes for the classroom. Teachers who teach literature are starting to feel their curriculum is making students, more specifically transgender students, start to feel even more invisible due to the book restrictions and current lists of books that must be removed by January 1st that tend to target LGBTQ plus themes. Teachers felt their classrooms were feeling a lot less inclusive, where students had to hide a part of their true selves by not going by their preferred name or pronoun, not including themes, now restricted by Senate File 496, and the lack of connectivity through casual conversations and check-ins. One teacher said it best. We have always accepted them for who they are in front of us, but somehow, overnight, that job changed. An unexpected outcome when researching the impact of Senate File 496 on climate and culture was the dire impact the legislation was having on the mental health and well-being of educators. Phrases and statements were made such as, I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I have internalized the anxiety. It's corrosive anxiety and doubt. And it's an anxiety level I can't get rid of. It's a type of shadow, an unfriendly ghost. One teacher went as far as to say they felt like a State Department employee in 1951, during the McCarthy era. With the law, they didn't know who was seeking information about what they were teaching or doing in the classroom. It's led to them feeling paranoid. Some of this comes from the uncertainty of the parameters of the law and the confusion about what is legal to do and not to do in the classroom. The Iowa Department of Education was to administer guidance on how to navigate the new laws, but schools are still waiting. Some of the anxiety is being caused by the morally gray area of administering surveys and checking in on social and emotional health of their students. The reality is hard to grasp for educators. Feeling transgender students have already reconciled with the new law, but teachers still have not. Transgender students and really all students understand the position teachers are in, and it doesn't feel good. We have been made aware of the bill and its provisions, and the prevailing feeling is one of gloom and a loss of freedom. The implications of legislation are definitely felt. Instead of navigating around Senate File 496 and other restrictive legislation, teachers have found the answer in escaping the new confines of the classroom. Seven out of the eight teachers interviewed 
said they plan on leaving the profession or even the state within the year or shortly thereafter due to the negative impact Senate File 496 has had on their teaching, building relationships with students, and the climate and culture of their classroom and school. I would have to count myself amongst the majority. Teaching in Iowa is no longer a foundation in the state. It is no longer a place for the free exchange of ideas. Schools seem to be less of a sanctuary of safety for students or for teachers. Additionally, it feels like those of us in the profession are tired. As one teacher expressed, I'd be lying if I haven't looked at other transferable careers. Is it worth the heartache? Another shared, I would quit today if I could. Teachers are tired of being denigrated, dehumanized, and targeted by lawmakers. But know that this is a battle transgender students have been fighting much longer. Teachers want to protect all students. They want to offer a safe space. But how can they offer a safe space when they're legally bound to violate the trust of their students? And if they don't, educators can lose their professional license and ability to teach in Iowa. It's more than a rock in a hard place. It's purgatory. For this reason, teachers have found the only answer is to leave the profession or state rather than compromise their own moral, professional, and ethical beliefs. Whether they will or not is yet to be seen, but some of the teachers interviewed shared they were already applying and looking for jobs outside of education. The implications of their decisions will be felt, as they are not alone in their thinking. In a 2022 poll by the National Education Association, 55% of teachers responded that they plan to quit their current education roles earlier than they had originally intended. According to the Merrimack College Teacher Survey, 20% of respondents said they were very likely to leave the teaching profession within the next two years, and 24% reported they are fairly likely to do so. The current teacher shortage will continue to worsen. Less college-age students are choosing education as a career path, and who blames them? And less educators are promoting it. A remark made was, how can I honestly promote the profession to my own kids? In fact, a handful of interviewees said they can't remember the last time they suggested that a student enter into the field of education. And that in itself, that speaks volumes about how teachers feel about the future of education in light of fear-based legislative actions. A veteran teacher vocalized, I've done hard jobs, but they pale in comparison to being a teacher. It is a hard job. No sane person should become a teacher. Some of them share their decision hung in the balance of the school board elections the following week. More of that to come in a bit. The greatest implication, however, is the damage done to Iowa students and their educational experience. Senate File 496 was passed in direct response to school boards aligning their policies to incorporate gender support plans and inclusive access to bathrooms and locker rooms, already a policy established by Iowa Civil Rights Commission and Title IX. In the process to overturn inclusive policies, Republican lawmakers tried hard to make it appear as if they are not targeting or singling out transgender students, taking a scorched-earth approach, forbidding all students from expressing themselves and their identity by having parents dictate names, pronouns, and social and emotional expression. For a state that has given us Tinker versus Des Moines, the Iowa General Assembly has made it clear that student rights no longer extend beyond the schoolhouse doors and the only rights that remain in schools are those of the parents. In the process, marginalized student populations, especially transgender teen girls and women in Iowa, have continued to be victimized by lawmakers. 
Senate File 496 is not the first time the Crimson Capitol has targeted transgender women. In the previous legislative session in 2022, Governor Reynolds signed a law banning transgender women from participating in girl high school athletics. Once again, the narrative being perpetrated by the governor and other conservative lawmakers was, quote-unquote, they are boys and girls' clothing. Mayo 2020 stated, Educators should stop being distracted by conservative claims for parents' rights to control transgender students and instead more robustly support diverse students, quote-unquote, page 277. While Mayo's words speak truth to power, they are missing who has the power. In 2017, Iowa teachers were stripped of their collective bargaining rights, and now Senate File 496 has essentially muzzled teachers from speaking or acting out in response to their oppressive legislation. The job has only gotten harder. It's difficult to protect students from outside influences, even inside the classroom, where teachers themselves are now being targeted by the same organizations and political groups. Essentially, teachers and students in Iowa have been muted and left voiceless, with only conservative parents being heard in their own echo chambers under the Golden Dome in Des Moines. But there is hope on the horizon. I woke up a few weeks ago, pit in my stomach. School board elections had taken place. The results were promising. Moms for Liberty had lost nearly all of their races in Iowa. This week, as I was recording this podcast episode, the ACLU of Iowa has filed a lawsuit against Senate File 496, claiming it seeks to silence LGBTQ plus students. It did not include educators in the lawsuit. And as of Thursday, Penguin Random House Publishing, alongside the Iowa State Education Association and authors John Green and Jody Picoult, have filed a lawsuit challenging the book bans in Senate File 496. It does seem now that a change may be coming. Thank you for listening to Unmuted, Teachers Talk. Many thanks to Dr. Alex Corbett at Boston College for his mentorship. My husband, Vince, for loving me and seeing me through this next stage of my educational journey. To my BC support system, Ariana and Becca, you're the best. To my brave colleagues who are fighting the good fight for kids here in Iowa, stop silencing yourself. Open your classroom doors and start talking. Music was provided by White Records. Podcast art was designed on Canva. All AI voices were created using Murph AI. All references and licenses are available in the transcripts. Signing off, this is Melissa Filmeyer-Marzen, producer, writer, and director of Unmuted. Teachers talk.